I would agree that politically it may be better for the country if people can vote on this and have it not decided on uh, the basis of a uh, provision in the Constitution. But we can't avoid that any more than if it turned out that someone who was 34 years old was running for president, they would be disqualified under the Constitution. So this really does have to be decided by the Supreme Court about whether he is actually qualified to be uh, the next president of the United States. Yeah, it does have to be decided. It will be decided. But today, you get to decide if it's a good idea. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Mm-hmm. I got the feeling that something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast. That's heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, and in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF, amongst other fine terrestrial stations around the country and world. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing Planet Earth, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. All right, coming up, it has been a uh, it's been a few weeks between our own travel and seemingly endless countless indictments and arraignments, not to mention hurricanes and wildfires and other disasters. Uh, So it's been a bunch of weeks since I've been able to open up the phones here on the broadcast, but I do hope to finally do that today. I would love to hear from you via 818-985-5735 if you're in our live Southern California listening area or you're tuning in via the live stream at KPFK. Dot .org I'd love to hear from you regarding the issue of disqualifying Donald Trump from the 2024 ballot via section 3 of the US Constitution's 14th amendment the so-called insurrection disqualification clause and while I personally think the constitution is very clear on the matter I realize some may see things differently if so I would love to hear from you as well, 818-985-KPFK. But what I really would like to focus in on, specifically on this matter, and get your thoughts on, is not whether the Constitution bars Trump from running next year or not. Uh, I believe it does. But whether he should 
be disqualified on a political level? Should the Constitution and the courts decide, or is this a matter better left to voters, as many Republicans and, yes, Democrats have been uh, suggesting in recent days. I'll get into more details in a bit, but I'd love to hear from you today, 818-985-5735, if you want to line up right now. I'll also try to keep my eyes on my Twitter feed, at the Brad blog, yes, the site still known as Twitter, or you can email me via bradcast at bradblog.com. But calling in is the best if you're listening live, 818-985-KPFK. Uh, first, however, we need to start uh, here quickly today following several ongoing and or pending disasters as Earth seems to be having an angry Several days, to say the least, following a brutal summer and, as we discussed on our Green News Report last week with Desi Doyen, the hottest summer in recorded history. Yeah, it was hot. Yeah. Today, uh, that means uh, ongoing catastrophic flooding in Libya, continued uh, continued recovery from the recent horrific wildfires on Maui and, well, at least one monster hurricane that we have been keeping a very close eye on over the past week. We'll get to all of those. But first, we start today with a story that would uh, seem to have nothing to do with global warming, uh, nonetheless shaping up as an unspeakable disaster and tragedy over the weekend. Villagers wept for their lost relatives in the rubble of their homes on Monday as the confirmed death toll from Morocco's deadliest earthquake in more than six de- uh, decades rose to some 2,700 with rescuers still racing against time to find and hopefully save survivors. Search teams from Spain, Britain, and Qatar were joining Moroccan rescue efforts after a 6.8 magnitude quake struck late on Friday night in the high Atlas Mountains with the epicenter 45 miles southwest of Marrakesh, where a number of historic sites suffered damage as well. In addition to the stunning number of dead people, The uh, Moroccan state news agency reports at least 2,500 are reported injured. And these numbers are very early. Uh, Rescuers warn that the traditional mud brick houses that are ubiquitous in the region reduced chances of finding survivors because... They had all crumbled. Footage from remote villages filmed by uh, a Spanish rescuer, Antonio Nogales, uh, of United Firefighters with borders Without Borders uh, showed men and dogs clambering over steep slopes covered in rubble. Uh, he said the level of destruction is absolute. Struggling, he was, to find the right word to describe what he was seeing. Not a single house has stayed upright, he said. After an initial response that was described as too slow by some survivors, search and rescue efforts appeared to be speeding up on Monday, with tent camps now appearing in some locations where people had spent three nights now outdoors. Roads blocked or obstructed by rocks that tumbled down. Uh, the, the steep slopes during the quake, they have, that's made it harder for uh, access to the worst hit locations. The harm done to Morocco's cultural heritage has also been emerging gradually. Buildings in Marrakesh, the old, uh, the old city there, a UNESCO World Heritage Site, were damaged. 
The quake also, <clears throat> the quake also, excuse me, did major damage to the historically significant 12th century Tinmel Mosque in a remote mountain area near to the uh, nearer to the uh, epicenter. It was the North African country's deadliest quake since 1960, when a tremor was estimated at the time to have killed at least 12 12,000 people. And it was the most powerful uh, earthquake since at least 1900, that according to the U.S. Geological Survey. With much of the quake zone in hard-to-reach areas, the authorities have not yet issued any estimates for the number of people missing. So we are uh, around 2,700 dead currently as we go to air, at least 2,500 reported injured. No idea yet how many people are missing. Uh, in I guess what will have to suffice for some somewhat brighter news uh, as our long, cruel summer <clears throat> turns to autumn. One month after the deadliest U.S. wildfire in more than a century leveled the historic town of Lahaina, Hawaii, Governor Josh Green said late last week that the number of missing has dropped to 66 with the confirmed death toll holding for now at around 115, as authorities will soon be escorting residents on visits to their property. Now down to 66, considering that we started at uh, something like 1,000 missing. We'll have to take this for the good news uh, as best we can. Well, better news. We can call it Slightly better news. Yeah, well, a a lot better, given that it was 1,000 missing at one point. Tens of millions of dollars in aid will make its way to families and businesses as they recover, the governor said. And beginning October 8, travel restrictions will end and West Maui will reopen to visitors. Now, you may recall in the days after these apocalyptic fires just swept through Lahaina, And elsewhere on Maui, we spoke with someone on the ground at our Maui affiliate, KAKU 88.5 FM, who told us at the time that the best way to help local residents in the immediate aftermath of these fires was, frankly, to stay away, to cancel any travel plans there, that the community was unable to support tourists. A lot of the locals were now living in the hotels and resorts. Um. But, you know, they, they, this was a way that people thought, well, I can go to Maui and somehow help the community. Well, the best help at the time was to stay away. Don't come here and spend money. A month later now, apparently, that sentiment is beginning to change, which in and of itself may be seen as an encouraging sign. Governor Green uh, said, quote, if we support Maui's economy and keep our people employed, they will heal faster and continue to afford to live on Maui. Donations from around the world have poured in to the American Red Cross, Hawaii Community Foundation, Maui United Way, other organizations as well, said Green. And he has authorized $100 million from the Federal Temporary Assistance for Needy Families, or TAMF program, Quote, to support what others donate, magnifying the power of their generosity. The August 8 fire started in the hills above the historic oceanfront town. Within hours, it spread through single-family homes and apartment buildings, quaint city streets, art galleries, restaurants. It destroyed more than 2,000 structures. Dozens of people fled into the ocean seeking refuge. 
uh, from the flames uh, and the damage, which is uh, estimated to have been some five and a half billion dollars so far. So this new tally of 66 people still missing That represents a significant drop-off. From just a week earlier, authorities had said 385 were unaccounted for. With about half the deceased still unidentified, however, Governor Green said he expected there to be significant overlap between the names on the missing list and, sadly, the remains of uh, those that have already been recovered and counted in the death toll. There, he said uh, he did not expect that death toll, therefore, to rise considerably. So, again, we're going to have to chalk up that grim news to, well, just about as bright as we can find following that particular climate change-enhanced disaster. Governor Green and Maui County officials have come under criticism for not being ready for the wildfire and for a chaotic and disorganized response to it. The governor suggested lawsuits filed against various state and county entities are preventing those in positions of authority from being able to speak out uh, more candidly in response to both causes of the disaster and whether the islands were appropriately prepared for fires of this magnitude. He said, I can't speak to when people will apologize for this tragedy. He said, I am heartbroken, and I will tell you and anyone out there, I am so sorry you went through this. Of course, he said, I'm just one person. It's the world who has to apologize for what we have become, where we have become a world where we turn our backs on global warming and where we didn't prioritize things in advance. Speaking of which, uh, we have been watching very closely since it first spun up about a week ago, a monster storm, which has uh, seen, well, what the National Hurricane described as explosive intensification over the past several days. Hurricane Lee currently threatening Bermuda and possibly the U.S. East Coast. But before we can even get there, we've got reports today of catastrophic flooding in Libya, where there 2,000 are feared dead, according to the prime minister of one of the nation's two rival governments, both of whom have declared uh, some three days of mourning in the wake of this uh, disaster. Desi Doyen, you have been keeping your eyes on both that and Hurricane Lee, closer to home. Yep. Uh, where are we in both cases today? Well, in Libya, it's it's just uh, sort of a, an unbelievable level of biblical catastrophic flooding. Uh, it, it occurred in eastern Libya. Tropical storm Daniel in the Mediterranean dumped an ungodly amount of rain, and uh, officials in eastern Libya say about two thousand people are mm. feared dead, and thousands more are considered missing. Uh, the massive flooding from the rain it ripped through the city of Derna. Again, this is in the eastern part of Libya, mm-hmm. and um, it's turned the city streets into raging rivers. I don't know if you've seen some of the video on social media. If you looked at a whitewater rafting river, Mm. that's what the streets look like. And it swept away buildings, neighborhoods, damaged even, you know, multi-story apartment buildings that collapsed, you know, partially collapsed into the mud. So that is the reason for the massive uh, list of missing. People thought they were safe in the the storm with all the flooding because they're up a few floors in the building. And then the entire building collapses. Right. And uh, some estimates also put the number of missing at 5,000. 
thousand to six thousand potentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reuters reports that the spokesperson for the Libyan National Army—they're the ones—that's the competing government that controls eastern Libya. They said mm-hmm. in a uh, televised news conference that the floods caused dams above the city of Derna to collapse. Oh. So that's uh, oh, why man. there was water sweeping through entire neighborhoods. Yep. And he said that appeared that some neighborhoods got swept into the sea. Uh, Reuters reports also that emergency response and recovery and public services have all deteriorated quite a bit since the 2011 uh, uprising that has been triggering years of conflict Mm -hmm. since then. So, um, you know, this is yet another example of how global warming turbocharges storms. This is the same storm that dumped ungodly rain on Greece. It was 10 inches of rain in just a few hours in Greece last week. This very slow-moving storm is just kind of parked over the southern, uh, southern, uh, I guess it would be the northern Mediterranean, Mm -hmm. southern Europe, that that has created this sort of just incredible torrential rainfall amounts. I didn't realize that was the same storm. Storm. That we have been covering, we covered on Green News Report last week, uh, for the last week or so. Yes. Just, again, ungodly amount. A lot of references to God in the Bible today for some reason in this segment. But, True. Uh, uh, that was, I didn't realize that was the same storm. Yes. Now, speaking of slow-moving storms, we've been covering for the past week now Hurricane Lee, and it's not even going to arrive in Bermuda, I think, until Later Friday. Than, yeah, yeah, the end, end of, of this week. week or so. Yeah, so uh, Hurricane Lee, it's still churning out there in the open Atlantic. It is being fueled by record hot Atlantic Ocean waters. Uh, the National Hurricane Service Center says that the storm is going to continue to grow in size, and it will probably slow down even more, and it's expected to turn north uh, midweek or so, and that should take it perhaps Perhaps north of Puerto Rico, but it does mean that it puts the sort of the north, the eastern seaboard of the United States in play for potential landfall. But it's really too far out to be able to determine its track with any certainty. So the National Weather Service is warning people that uh, it's going to grow significantly and that uh, Lee's hazards will extend well away from the center of the storm. So even if you don't see yourself or your location in the cone of uncertainty for its track, Mm. you should still go ahead and prepare, especially if you're in the Northeast uh, and the New England and the Canadian Maritime provinces. Because New York those... may, get, uh, may get hit, Yeah, see, here's like. the thing is yeah. that, you know, it's really hard to tell this far out, but it's still, it's already churning and creating some storm surge and, uh, you know, rip currents in southern Florida. That's expected to continue up the East Coast mm-hmm. as it travels northward. And the thing is, back remember, back in 2013, Superstorm Sandy yep. was also not expected to hit anywhere on the East Coast, and then it suddenly took a surprise left turn and mm-hmm. shocked everybody. So that's why it's a good idea if you're anywhere where it could possibly hit on the Northeast Coast especially, go ahead and get ready. Um, and I also want to mention one more thing. There yeah, is well, a, I, I, would, I just want to say, especially with this storm, uh, it, it, because it's over record warm waters, it's moving so slowly, which means it's uh, having a huge amount of time to get organized, right. to pick up moisture. And if energy. If it does energy, if it makes landfall, uh, even a, a part of it. 
uh, in New York or New England or Canada, uh, they could be looking at, again, huge amounts of rain. Yeah. And if it's a geographically large storm, you can be 500 miles away and still Still get get, pummeled by rain and flooding and storm surge. So there's a big record that came along with Hurricane Lee when it hit Category 5 status for a a couple of hours or a Mm -hmm. day out there in the open Atlantic. At that point, it created a new record for the first time in recorded history. All seven ocean tropical cyclone basins produced a Category 5 storm in the same year. That is an example of how hot our oceans have gotten because Uh, oceans absorb about 90 percent of the warming that humanity has generated in recent days, uh, recent decades, I should say, from uh, burning fossil fuels and creating, uh, you know, the greenhouse gas emissions that are trapping heat and, you know, more heat. In energy in the oceans means that storms are stronger, they hit frequent, uh, high intensity more frequently, and they're a lot wetter, meaning they dump a lot more rain and cause a lot more flood. Oh, I'm sure everything is fine. Why are you, why, <laughs> why are you such an alarmist, Desi Doyen? Thank you very much yeah. for, for being an alarmist, frankly, for all of those years. I wish more people were hearing the alarm. All right, let's, uh, let's take a quick break here, and we will come back with your calls, I hope, on... Uh, Whether Donald Trump should be disqualified from running for office in 2024 based on his violation of the 14th Amendment's Insurrection Disqualification Clause. Our phone number is 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. Most notably, my question is not uh, so much about whether the Constitution bars him from office. I believe it clearly does. But whether he should politically be prevented from running. Is that a good idea? I've got arguments both for and against, and I've got my own opinion on the matter, my own feeling on this matter that I've been discussing uh, now for a couple of weeks, it seems like. But I would love to hear yours first. 818-985-KPFK. All of that is straight ahead on today's broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com slash donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. I cannot fight this feeling. Uh, you know, we'll get to your calls uh, in a moment at 818-985-5735. Uh, but as I've been noting for a while on this program, I have a feeling. It is not a prediction. It is not a promise. It is not even a certainty. It is a feeling that I have been having trouble shaking that for a host of reasons, it is still quite possible that Donald Trump will, in fact, not be on the ballot next year come uh, November, uh, that he may not be his party's nominee for president of the United States. I think it's still more likely than not that he will be running next year, but I am not as uh, nearly as certain as many people seem to be 
uh, right now. Now, there are a number of reasons for that feeling, and I spent some time on uh, on a bunch of them last week, I think it was, on the broadcast, including some uh, polling numbers that show it would be a terrible idea, arguably, for Republicans to nominate him. Uh, he may wish to uh, bargain against some of his criminal indictments at some point in order to stay out of prison in exchange for dropping out of the presidential race. He could, of course, uh, also get ill between now and then, given all the nightmarish stress of four criminal indictments and more uh, that is absolutely keeping him uh, awake and terrified at night. But one of the biggest reasons, as referenced at the top of the show, is something that we've been covering on this program for more than two years now, but which is finally gaining traction in the mainstream corporate media. They have finally noticed. First, they noticed the Coffee County uh, breach in Georgia that we broke on this program. They finally started to notice that. Uh, and uh, now they've started to notice Section 3 of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. In that case, largely thanks to two so-called conservative legal scholars who have sort of shored up the premise. You know, it doesn't matter if it's somebody like me talking about it uh, or the experts we've had on this show because they don't happen to be like from the Federalist Society, like these two, uh, the right-wing Federalist Society, like these two legal scholars. Uh, in any event, it is the uh, Constitution's so-called insurrection disqualification clause. It's spelled out by the 14th Amendment that Donald Trump or anyone having taken an oath of office to protect and defend the Constitution and then goes on to engage in an insurrection against the same, specifically in Trump's case on January 6, 2021, anyone like that is now constitutionally disqualified, barred from running or holding office. It's just one of the reasons that I have had this feeling that I've discussed on this show on a number of occasions that Trump may not even ultimately end up being on the ballot at all by November of 2024. As noted, there are other reasons to uh, proceed very carefully on this matter, but I would love to get your thoughts on all of the above. Uh, 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-KPFK. I will also keep my eye on my Twitter feed at the Brad Blog. Yes, the site still known as Twitter and my uh, email via bradcast at bradblog.com. We've been, uh, we spent some time, again, I think it was last week, on a number of secretaries of state around the country who have finally begun uh, to be asked about it and have clearly been grappling with this novel situation that hasn't really come up before. A president running for office who would be, should be, arguably is disqualified from running for office under the post-Civil War era Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. We played several clips from a bunch of those secretaries of state last week as they responded to questions on this, pretty much uniformly saying they did not know the answer yet. They were looking into it and that the matter would ultimately be decided by the U.S. Supreme Court no matter what. And I think that, at least, is certainly, almost certainly true. The idea of barring former President Donald Trump from seeking the presidency on grounds that it would violate the 14th Amendment 
is an increasingly catchy constitutional argument, writes Politico, pushed by a segment of legal scholars and activists. But it turns out election officials have been discussing how to handle this for months. Quote, we have been thinking about this in my office for quite some time, said Colorado Secretary of State Jenna Griswold, a Democrat, in an interview. She noted that, quote, there have been conversations among other secretaries of state as well. She is, uh, in fact, the uh, the head of the Secretaries of State uh, Association. I forget what it is called. So she is in touch with a lot of secretaries around the country. The government watchdog group is now testing the theory in Colorado. Last week, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, or CRU, um, sued Jenna Griswold, the Secretary of State in Colorado, sued in Colorado court to have Trump declared ineligible. It's one of the first lawsuits to bar the former president from the ballot. It is not likely the last. Griswold said we can expect a lot of lawsuits filed on this issue across the nation. I'm really hopeful that this case will provide guidance to election officials. She chairs, there we go, the Democratic Association of Secretaries of State. She said this is an unprecedented situation. We've never had a president incite an insurrection and attack our democracy like this. There are several things, she says, that are unclear when it comes to how the 14th Amendment may apply to ballot access. The U.S. Constitution, she noted, does not say whether someone who has engaged in insurrection is prohibited from running for office or just prohibited from being seated in that office. Colorado law, she said, is also arguably unclear on this point. Other secretaries uh, of state have also publicly discussed the matter. Adrian Fontes, the Democratic Secretary of State of Arizona. Jocelyn Benson, the Democratic Secretary of State in Michigan. New Hampshire's Republican Secretary of State, David Scanlon, said that uh, he is seeking the advice of the attorney general in New Hampshire. For his part, Georgia's Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger wrote an op-ed Wednesday in The Wall Street Journal saying he did not have the authority to use the 14th Amendment to block Trump from the ballot and suggested that it would be unwise for election officials elsewhere to do so. Quote, Georgia law contemplates a legal process that must take place before anyone is removed from the ballot. He wrote, anyone who believes in democracy must let the voters decide. I think it is uh, clearly not up to the voters, frankly, but up to the state officials, election officials responsible for deciding if a candidate has received the legal number of signatures required on a petition, if the candidate has met the residency or constitutional citizenship requirements to be on the ballot. We played uh, part of this at the top of the show, but let me play it a a bit more at length here just to help set things up. Here's former federal prosecutor Andrew uh, Weissman being asked about this very matter by MSNBC's Jen Psaki, formerly Joe Biden's press secretary, over the weekend. This is a novel issue because we haven't had this situation with a former president now uh, seeking to be elected who has by all accounts, colloquially engaged in insurrection. There are very prominent conservative 
scholars and judges who have said that it does apply to former President Trump. Um, obviously, I think this will end up at the Supreme Court to decide the issue. I, I would agree that politically it may be better for the country if people can vote on this and have it not decided on uh, the basis of a uh, provision in the Constitution. But we can't avoid that any more than if it turned out that someone who was 34 years old was running for president, they would be disqualified. They're not qualified under the Constitution. So this really does have to be decided by the Supreme Court about whether he is actually qualified to be uh, the next president of the United States. Now, it does and will eventually be decided almost certainly by the Supreme Court. But that doesn't mean you can't decide. And I'm not talking about whether you believe that the Constitution allows um, uh, secretaries of state, for example, to, uh, you know, to, to block Donald Trump from being on the ballot, finding he's unqualified, doesn't meet the requirements of the Constitution. Um but rather, is it a good idea? Setting the politics aside, is it a good idea to prevent Donald Trump from being able to run next year? Now, uh, there are uh, of late uh, a very uh, well a number of rather timid elected Democrats in Congress who have been ringing in on the issue, at least have been forced to by journalists in recent days. Peter Welch, Democrat of Vermont, said, quote, voters have to make the decision. The American people are going to have to weigh in here. We've got to win the election. So that's for courts to resolve, said Virginia's Democratic Senator Tim Kaine. Adding uh, when pressed, quote, the language in the amendment and the legal scholars that are talking about it um, say that uh, there was a, an attempt to conduct an insurrection against the Constitution. He said he thinks that's a very powerful argument. Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, Democrat from Rhode Island, said, quote, uh, it's a very credible argument. We'll need a judicial determination to assess its applicability to Trump. There's a reason why that provision was in the Constitution, said Democratic State uh, De Democratic U.S. Senator Ben Cardin of Maryland. Senator Elizabeth Warren exclaimed, reportedly chuckling as she did, quote, Donald Trump is disqualified in so many different meanings of that word, including being the first candidate with 90 criminal charges. Sorry, it's actually 91, Senator. But who's counting? She went on to say, so I'm glad for people to make their arguments, but this is just more on top of more, and it will, and it will persuade the people who are already persuaded. It won't persuade those who aren't. Well, maybe, but I'm not actually hoping to persuade anybody. I think the text of the Constitution is clear for any so-called originalists, textualists, to be able to read and understand. No constitutional law experts are needed here. The Section 3 of the 14th Amendment is pretty clear. You may feel otherwise. If so, give me a call, 818-985-5735. But what I'd most like to hear from you on is setting aside what the Constitution, in my opinion, clearly says, uh, says about it. Should this be a matter for the courts or for the voters to decide? It's clear how some Democrats feel about it. Here is former Senator Claire McCaskill of Missouri late last week. Politically, let's think about this for a minute. Does Joe Biden want 
Donald Trump off the ballot? Or does he want to run against a known quantity that is terribly unpopular and polling awful with independents and Democratic voters across the country? Uh, never mind if he can be disqualified. Should he be? Politically, should he be disqualified from running next year? Uh, there's a lot of reasons to argue, as I said, in both directions. Let's hear what you have to say. 818-985-KPFK. Let me go to uh, Bill in Santa Monica. There we go. Hey, Bill, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Thank you. Um, I don't – it doesn't matter politically. The law, the Constitution, and people who swear by the Constitution, especially those strict constructionists, say mm -hmm. that we obey the Constitution. If the Constitution says he shouldn't run, he shouldn't run. Or he can't. He should be disqualified. Mm -hmm. I listened to David Fromm, that right-wing uh, speechwriter mm -hmm. and commentator. Yep. And uh, the other day, and he said, it's uh, fantasy to believe that you can stop Donald Trump from running because of the Constitution, because the Trumpansies would get really angry. Mm -hmm. um, this sounds so much like I've read a lot about Civil War, pre-Civil War. Mm -hmm. This country is sounds just like the pro-Civil War. The South. They fought duels, they rode horses, they shot guns, and they were eager to fight. And we and look what happened. This is the same thing now. You have these people backing Trump, these right wingers who so who stormed the uh, Capitol mm -hmm. two years ago. Uh, one thing, these people, it's a lot of talk. They're not going to fight. I never saw a revolutionary. If you look at that crowd that stormed the Capitol, have you ever seen revolutionaries that old? There were very few people. <laughs> Even in their 20s, they were 30s, 40s, mostly 50s. One guy had his mother carrying strip ties with him in the Capitol building. Uh -huh. um, I don't know why the left is so afraid of these people. They're not going to fight. And if they do fight, they'll lose. The Constitution yep. is a man like that shouldn't even be considered to be president. He's a horrible individual. He's not. Have you ever heard a man that age and tell a friend, not as a criticism, but he said, this has been verified by his friends. I'm the same guy I was when I was five years old. Anybody who <laughs> says that is not qualified. He's proud of that. Uh, well, yeah, let me, uh, Bill, let me run this by you. So we had, um, when we talked about this last week, a, a commenter over at Daily Coast rang in to say, for me, optimal would be Trump getting the primary win before a few must-win states determine that the 14th Amendment disqualifies him from appearing on the, their ballot. The GOP mayhem would be glorious to witness. And I read that and I thought, well, would it? Let me share with you a, a note. Uh, Josh Marshall over at TPM has been writing about the matter of late. He received this response from one of his readers. I'll just re share part of this. Um, if Trump is actively removed from a ballot, uh, whether that's with the Supreme Court's blessing or not, how are we not going to have armed rebellion? And I'm not just referring to swing states. This uh, person writes, I live in Oregon. We're a blue state. But like many other blue states, the vast majority of our geography is deep red. Do you think that if Oregon's all Democratic leadership took Trump off the ballot, that the Republicans here would just load more let's go Brandon flags on their trucks and call it a day? Not a chance, they write. They would revolt in Oregon. And honestly, I'd wager the vast majority of states, it won't matter if the Supreme Court approved the state's request because it would have been the partisan Democrats requesting it in the first place. Trump will then tell them SCOTUS is corrupt and they'll believe it. 
The only way this doesn't go horribly wrong, uh, he writes, is if the ongoing court is if the ongoing court cases either lead to a pre-election conviction or uncover unreported atrocities by Trump uh, that force the entire party establishment to turn against him. Neither seems likely. I'd love to see Trump disqualified in a deep, visceral sort of way, but it would be reckless and foolish not to consider the full range of potential costs, which could include acts of insurrection far beyond those we have already seen. How do you respond to that, Bill? It's a, it's a threat. I mean, there's, you can't obey the Constitution. They say don't obey the Constitution because we're going to get mad. And all I can say is get mad. I mean, if you if you back down from something like this because of threat of some violence by some crazies, then this country's finished. It's ruined. Thanks, Bill. I do appreciate your call very much. 818-985-KPFK is our phone number. Let me go to uh, Roger in Minneapolis. Hey, Roger. Good to hear from you, my friend. Thanks for uh, calling us today on the broadcast. Always delighted to participate, Brad. Um, I'm going to disappoint you and not be a contrasting viewpoint to the previous caller. You don't have uh, to be any. You were never disappointing me, Roger. Whatever you, any callers, I just want to know their uh, feeling. That's all. I'm not looking for a fight. I, 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 I feel vehemently that Trump is not entitled to even be on any ballot. Uh, he belongs buried under the freaking jail. Um, uh, but uh, the idea that we would be intimidated um, uh, and then cause that to uh, be a consideration or that it might be politically advantageous to allow things to uh, uh, um, result in him being on the ballot, uh, both to my mind are utter poppycock. I think mm-hmm. it is highly likely, as do you, that Trump will not be on the ballot. And I think they're grooming Yunkin to be the, the mm-hmm. one who they fly in. And I think you've noticed the same idea. Um, I have. Uh, just to be clear, I'm not saying uh, just to be clear, I'm not saying it's highly likely he will not be on the ballot. But I can't like I, like the song says, I can't fight that feeling anymore. So, yeah. Well, I can't either. But, but <laughs> honestly, Brad, there, there's. There's no, in, in, to my mind, if this is going to be any kind of an ongoing republic, we're not going to be intimidated by a few crazies. Absolutely not. Thank you. Uh, and and, and th- that's it. Thank There's you. nothing more for me to say. Thank you, Roger. I greatly appreciate it. Good hearing from you. I know you guys have been having some uh, r- redonkulously warm weather up there in Minneapolis of late. So hopefully winter will, fi- or, or autumn at least, will finally show up on some sort of schedule. Thanks, Roger. Good to hear from Autumn you, my friend. I arrived three days ago. There we go. Glad to hear Thank it. You, Everything is fine. 818-985-KPFK is our phone number. Let me go to uh, Andy in Winnetka. Hey, Andy, welcome to the broadcast. Hi, oh, and, and Desi says, puts out a note, says, hey, remind the ladies to call in because we got nothing but dudes. So uh, where are you, ladies? We'd love to hear from you as well. Let's hear if they want to uh, pick a fight with the Republicans the way all the dudes do. Anyway, hey, Andy. <laughs> hey, Brad. Um, I think he's totally disqualified from running. Um, and his followers have shown they don't respect the results of an election. So an election won't be the end of it. And so, therefore, he shouldn't be allowed to run. And the, the Constitution is clear. Um, that's 
basically all I have to say. All right. So even if uh, violence erupts, he should be removed from the ballot and he should. uh, And even though he's the far and away favorite of Republican primary voters, you think he should not uh, he he should be disqualified. And that's just too bad for Republicans. Yeah, because that would happen anyway, because they don't they've shown that they don't respect results of an election. If he loses the vote, they're going to say it was rigged. And the same old, same old, right? All right. Uh, Probably, yeah. Thanks, Andy. (laughs) I appreciate the call. Thank you. 818-985-KPFK. Casey writes in, frequent listener, uh, writes in to say, if we use the 14th Amendment on Trump, the the Republicans will trump up a reason to use it on Gavin Newsom. And every other Democrat that gets elected president, I'll bet you a bag of pretzels on it, he says. Uh, That's his biggest bet. He notes uh, he added anything we do to rein in the right they will use against us. Witness the witless campaign to impeach President Biden. Well, maybe, Casey. Thank you for the note. I, I but I don't find that particularly persuasive. The Constitution says what the Constitution says at least until our corrupted, stolen, and packed U.S. Supreme Court decides that the Constitution is actually unconstitutional. And you can bet they are already twisting themselves, speaking of pretzels, twisting themselves into pretzels, trying to figure out how once this gets to them, somehow they're going to deny what the Constitution actually says to anyone who is an originalist, a textualist who can look at the words of the Constitution, look at the words of the framers of the 14th Amendment and know exactly what 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 they say. And yet these so-called textualists and originalists on the right on the U.S. Supreme Court, well, they're going to have to come up with something, aren't they? Either that or they're going to have to say, yeah, Donald Trump should be. Uh, uh, should be disqualified. So I don't find it, uh, no matter what the, uh, however the uh, right, the Republicans might reply, uh, respond to this and, uh, as Casey says, use it against Gavin Newsom and every other Democrat that gets elected. Good, let him try. I don't find that particularly persuasive. The Constitution says what it says. Now, if Republicans want to misuse that Constitution... Well, that's that's on them. And I think that the voters will have a thought on that. The voters will have an opinion about that if Republicans try to do exactly that. We saw that after Bill Clinton's stupid, ridiculous impeachment. And I think that Republicans will really be doing themselves in here if they try the same nonsense uh, trying to impeach Joe Biden. So that's what they're talking about doing. Let them do it. I don't think it's going to work out well for them. 818-985-KPFK. Let me go to uh, John in Apple Valley. Hey, John, welcome to the broadcast. Oh, John. John, are you there? Okay, John, we'll, uh, 
<laughs> we'll we'll have to uh, let John go, unfortunately. And what, does he was he? A, you said he was a, a a Republican. No, no, he was basically saying that oh. uh, he was concerned that there doesn't seem to be a similar push ahead. It sounded like yeah. for Republican congressmen who also helped Trump not only plot ah. and plan, but actually you know were ready to participate to help further the plot on January sixth. To be held accountable. To be held, also they haven't been held accountable either. Only yeah. I mean I know that there have been a few challenges to them, but we don't exactly that they haven't exactly. Uh, come through yet? Yeah, so. and there are going to be, uh, as I as I say, a lot of lawsuits. Whether it's about Trump or some of these other people, I think they did attempt to go after Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene in that regard uh, in Georgia, where they had sort of a terrible, uh, 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 a terrible decision, frankly, by the judge in that case. Um, so we will have to see. Uh, commenter uh, Alex at bradblog.com writes to say, Brad, the rational takeaway should be that the Federalist Society is suspiciously hyping an illegal idea, uh, idea to remove Trump from the ballot before he is legally found guilty of insurrection. This is a reference to those uh, Federalist Society legal experts who wrote a 126-page paper literally for a law review uh, that, that, you know, suddenly once Republicans start talking about it, now they – corporate media decides it's OK for them to talk about it too. So uh, the rational takeaway should be that uh, they're suspiciously – the Federalist Society suspiciously hyping an illegal idea – uh, so that he doesn't win the nomination and it causes a blue wave in, in the general. Um, why amplify their disinformation campaign? Remember, the Republicans have terrible policies and use dishonest tactics. Alex writes, we briefly worked together when we had mutual enemies, but we are not friends. Their comeuppance is near and we, the left, should... Uh, be throwing extra gas on that fire. We want a democracy where it's the voters and laws who effectively disqualify a candidate. Anything less is a slippery slope. So he's saying that this is some sort of a scam, a scam by the Federalist Society somehow to uh, anger the folks on the right and you know get Donald Trump out, anger the folks on the right or something. I'm, I'm having trouble understanding exactly what Alex is getting to here. But I think that what Alex is suggesting is that if Donald Trump is allowed to run on the ballot, that Donald Trump will lose and that he will uh, people in uh, the House, Republicans will lose the House, Republicans will lose in the U.S. Senate. Now, that's a political analysis of the situation as to the results of disqualifying Trump. It would give Republicans a better chance next year both for winning the White House and other offices on Donald Trump's coattails is, I guess, what Alex is arguing. I think the opposite is actually true. I think Republicans will do a lot better if Donald Trump is not on the ballot. But as to the notion that this is some sort of a trick by the Federalist Society, uh, look, I, I loathe the Federalist Society as much as anyone uh, their dishonest, bad faith tactics. And maybe they, they do have those ambitions. I don't know. But the fact is that the constitutional scholars, honest or dishonest ones, are not needed to understand Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Read it for yourself. You may or may not like what it says, 
You may find it, you know, politically troubling in some way, but it says what it says and clearly so. That Trump, under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, is disqualified from the ballot for good or ill. You may think the Constitution is wrong, but it is the Constitution. And as a supporter of the Constitution, I must support the Constitution. Even if I would have no quarrel with anyone's efforts to amend it as they see fit regarding this. Let me go to, uh, let's see, Michael in Van Nuys. Hey, Michael, welcome to the broadcast. Yeah, uh, let's see your discussion here. I think the one thing that you're missing is, is this whole thing turns on the definition of insurrection. I'm a lawyer. And- this whole, uh, and say that again because your phone sort of broke up. This whole thing turns on what, Michael? The definition of insurrection. The definition of insurrection, right. Yeah. I'm an attorney, and I know that the first thing I would do if I were Trump's lawyer is I would, uh, uh, you know, argue that insurrection doesn't cover what happened there, that there weren't armed battles to attempt to take over the state, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, like there would have been in the Whiskey Rebellion or one of the mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Civil War and such. And I would argue that that's what I would argue mm-hmm. that position. So we're not political visual thinking is fine. Well, Michael, let me Michael, let me let me ask you this. Um, The uh, U.S. Senate, a majority of of senators in the U.S. Senate, a bipartisan majority, seven Republicans included, determined that it was, in fact, an insurrection. Shouldn't that be enough for the U.S. Supreme Court? No, not at all. Uh, Any. you know, uh, legislatures can reach uh, opinions on this or that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's how courts can interpret a particular law. You know, if I, I certainly would go before the court and say that that was not an insurrection. And I'm a lawyer, skilled lawyer, you know, but that's what I uh-huh. would argue if I was in his position. What, what about all of the, uh, yeah, and I understand that you'd make that argument. I'm figuring out how I would respond in kind. You know, we had all the, 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 the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers and so forth. They were found guilty of seditious conspiracy uh, for their, uh, and there are references to insurrection in those charges. Isn't that enough? Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have to connect to Trump directly to them, which hasn't been done. Well, no, no, no. Your you know. point was your point was that it's the definition of an insurrection, that he would argue that that was not an insurrection. Well, if courts of law have referred to this as an insurrection, if the U.S. Senate has uh, 57-43 voted that it was an insurrection, I mean, how much more do we need to convince uh, a court that it was, in fact, an tell insurrection? That, tell that to the court. Tell that to the court. But that's certainly what my position would be. I, when I look at it, I don't see it as an insurrection, I, you know, even looking at it from a leftist position. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what we're pushing now in terms of uh, punishment of these people, et cetera, that took part in that is going to come slamming back on us the next time there's a Black Lives Matter. We're going to see 20-year-old 20-year sentences instead of, you know, 10 days and do some community service but what, because but, of the precedents we're setting right now. But what, what, well, what precedent? I mean, in, in all of these cases, the people who have been charged, and we're talking about a thousand or so people who have been uh, charged and sentenced, have gotten lower sentences than the prosecutors have asked for. So if this is, if this again, is the precedent, 
Yeah. They're getting sentences that are dramatically larger than anything that's ever been done on a political demonstrations in the past. Well, this is not a, this look, is, what's happen- look what's happening in Georgia right now. Michael. Right now, under the top city. Michael, this is, this, is, this is not... Uh, yes, they're getting uh, dramatically larger sentences than anything for a demonstration. This was not a demonstration. This was an attempt to overturn the U.S. government. And I know you think that, oh, it wasn't much of an insurrection. Well, courts disagree. There's a court in uh, New Mexico has uh, removed an official who took place in the insurrection, removed him from office because uh, it was a violation of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. So this that's your argument. Yeah, that's, your that's argument. my argument. Right. That's not, this is not conclusive. This is going right. to be determined by how the Supreme Court defi- defines insurrection yep. eventually. Gotcha. Thank you, Michael. I do appreciate it. And by the way, that could be uh, sooner rather than later because primary uh, the, the primary uh, elections begin like in January, February, March of next year. And that means that these states need to have their ballots set within the next couple of months in de- December or January. They need to know who's going to be on the ballot. So they're going to make decisions about it. It's going to have to go up to the courts. It's going to go all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, and it's going to move very quickly. All right, speaking of moving quickly, we've got, oh, man, just a minute or two here. Very quickly, Al in Huntington Beach. Uh, Welcome to the broadcast. What's on your mind? Very quickly, sir. Hello, yes. Um, Yeah, we should just let Trump run, man, because that way we can weed all all his supporters, Mm -hmm. and we know exactly where they stand. I mean, we— you know, Pelosi wants to run again. And, uh, you know, we already lost the House. We could have won it if they would have supported some progressives yeah. that were uh, on the ballot. Yeah. And we could have, you know, ended this whole mess. Yeah. You know, we keep running the same dogs in the fight. All right. Separate and- separate issue, Al. And I do got to get out. But a separate issue. But, the, you know, the fact that... Uh, you think it's okay for him to violate the Constitution and then let him run anyway? What does the Constitution mean if we do that? We might as well tear it up. Mo in Long Beach, give me 10 seconds, brother. Sorry, that's all the time I got. I ain't playing no semantics. I ain't playing no semantics, buddy. Ain't no difference between an insurrection and a failed coup attempt. Thank you. Thank you, Mo. No difference between this election and a failed coup attempt. All right. Thanks to everyone else who I couldn't get to today. Greatly appreciate you ringing in. Sorry I couldn't get to everyone. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my board operator, Wendell Handy, uh, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me an email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks, Mastodons, and sites still known as Twitter, I am the Brad Blog. See you there until we see you here, hopefully tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. You're listening to the Bradcast. We are 100% listener-supported, thanks to listeners like you who drop by bradblog.com slash donate. I'm Rick Smith. 
And this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 2001. We pause to remember those who died in the 9-11 attacks. Of those killed, nearly a quarter were union people. Hundreds of firefighters were lost, dozens of building tradespeople, and many other unions lost members as well, including the AFT, SEIU, Unite Here, CWA, and AFSMIT. Those lost that day will remain firmly forever in our memories. What is less well-known is the number of those first responders who are suffering from chronic and fatal diseases related to 9-11 or those who have already died. It is estimated that over 400,000 people were exposed to World Trade Center contaminants. These include more than 70 carcinogens and other hazardous substances. Of those exposed, over 91,000 were first responders. As of June 2017, over 67,000 first responders and over 12,000 survivors had registered in the World Trade Center Health Program run by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The program provides medical monitoring, health evaluations, and treatment for those who qualify. Of those registered responders still alive, more than 45,000 suffer from certified conditions as defined by the Zadroga Act of 2010. And for registered survivors, nearly 10,000 suffer from certified conditions. Close to 700 registered first responders have already died from certified conditions. However, this number is considered a low estimate given that there were many who died before the program was established. There are also a number of illnesses believed related to the attacks but not yet certified. If you are a survivor or were a 9-11 first responder and would like to enroll in the World Trade Center Health Program, please visit cdc.gov WTC or call toll-free 1-888-982-4748.